On today's episode, our all-Asian panel reviews Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings and discusses leaving home to find yourself, which is a topic plucked from the themes of the movie. What up, what up, listeners? Welcome to the You Better Represent podcast. Each week, we explore representation in cinema by reviewing a minority-led film with members of that underrepresented community and debate a cultural topic plucked from the movie's themes. Joining me for today's show is Toronto comedian and latest on-air correspondent for CBC TV's This Hour Has 22 Minutes. Please welcome Leonard Chan. Hello. So uh, before we jump into the review, just want to congratulate you on making, well, it wasn't your on-screen debut because you had a segment last year, but now you're like a full-time on-air correspondent. How does that feel? Uh, It's awesome. It's, uh, I'm, you know, following in the footsteps of Ronnie Chang. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You know, this is the Canadian version of The Daily Show, except it's weekly. Uh, (laughs) And uh, we don't have Steve Carell or or Stephen Colbert or, you know, any of these people. But, um, yeah, no, it's great, man. It's such a good opportunity. Just, you know, more TV time is always good. But it's also, like, super fun, man. Like, they, uh, I get to go around with, like, this fantastic production crew and I get to work with a lot of awesome writers and we just go out and we just film and we get what we get and then we kind of just have fun. It's so, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I know. It, it, it was amazing. I was so excited when I heard that you, um, that you got this gig. Um, obviously you had already been working at this hour is 22 minutes, but just having you on the screen, you're such a brilliant writer. And that segment you did last year on, you know, anti-Asian hate crimes is was like hilarious it's weird for me saying anti-Asian hate crimes is hilarious but your segment <laughs> on it was super amazing so I'm glad that sort of transitioned into this opportunity and you know what I've I, I've said and several of my friends have said before that you are the Asian Rick Mercer but like a much better version um you know <laughs> no actually no that sounds like I'm throwing shade to Rick Mercer who no Rick Mercer is awesome uh, I would 100% take that if I could like and you know what's funny I'm actually working with Rick Mercer's crew like his the when he did all his rants like it's mm. that exact same crew uh and so yeah, this is uh, right now is as close as I'm gonna get to being Asian Rick Mercer. But yeah, that's not shade at all, man. Like Rick Mercer is awesome. I'd take that in a heartbeat. Yeah, no, no, no. I was saying it sounded like I was throwing shade at Rick Mercer because I was saying you were like yeah. better than him. But I was like, I just want to say oh. everybody out there for my <laughs> well, for my gay listeners, like I'm not throwing shade at a gay man. I do love Rick Mercer. He is amazing. He is, you know. He's he is a trailblazer, and I believe uh, Leonard will also be a trailblazer in his own way as well. Um, my week was a little bit strange. I uh, I did uh, what was supposed to be a seven day fast um, with no food, but I I just. At the end of the sixth day, I just had to tap out. Um, <laughs> I learned. Wait, wait, you made it. It was a seven day fast, but you made it to six. Yeah, six full days. Well, that's pretty yeah. good. Yeah, that's pretty good. It wouldn't be like, yeah, after six hours, I had to stop. <laughs> <laughs> so you did all right. No, six I was, days is really good. I was doing it for for health. Um, yeah. Like there's this thing um, where I don't know. There's some. 
like anti-cancer, anti-dementia research saying, you know, if you're not always digesting, your body will break down proteins that could lead to cancer and dementia and stuff. And mm. so they're sort of saying, you know, a fasting is actually a good thing. You should try it. And, you know, this sounds like weird pseudoscience, but it actually won the Nobel uh, Prize in Medicine in 2016. It's this... Mm-hmm. Um, cellular regeneration process called autophagy look it up i'm not crazy it did win the nobel prize before no it's true if you if you eat a lot of meat the way it breaks down the protein it creates these uh oxidants that um that fuck you up basically yeah i would say the thing that convinced me to try it was when people lose a lot of weight on fasting they actually don't have like loose skin you know when people lose it with like uh uh like with exercise and 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 uh combined with uh combined with calorie restriction you know like the um, eat less move more they usually need to have like skin removal surgery but actually Mm -hmm. when you fast your body will actually break down your skin so a lot of people will lose like 100 pounds and not have loose skin so that's why i was like hey wait a minute that actually sounds like it does break down materials and stuff anyway that's what can convince me but the one thing and this is sound really sad is like every single book told me do not do it to lose weight because <laughs> they said, you know, long-term intermittent fasting will help you lose weight. But they always said the week-long fasting, you'll lose a lot of weight because you're going to use up all your glycogen stores and all this stuff, but you will immediately gain it all back once you start eating. So they're like, do okay. not go in with the hopes of losing weight. Do it for health. Do it for <laughs> mental clarity. But of course, stupid me, halfway through, I'm like, oh, shit, I'm down 13 pounds. This is awesome. (laughs) These books are wrong. I'm going to be the exception. No, Leonard. Uh, Two days back, I have gained it all back. (laughs) Even though it's what they told me, I don't know why I'm just so devastated still. Because it's exactly like they didn't lie. It was exactly what they said would happen. And it happened. So, you know, I'll just think on the other benefits. The thing is, though, I will say I'm back to the same weight, but I'm down two inches on my waist. So... Oh, nice. There you go. That's so. Wait, where did it go then? Um, what it is is uh, it, it, it's weird. I know our, our listeners are probably wondering why we're we're doing this segment for the yeah. but well, I, I know like you know because look look at Shang Chi's body, okay? Yeah, look at, yeah. at CMU's body. We you know we got to talk about <laughs> you know losing weight and whatever. But and by the way, he got that role because. He was in such good shape. Yeah, right away. I mean, on, on top of other things, but like <laughs> they needed somebody who was like already, you know, they didn't have to like do a lot of work to get into shape. Yeah. So like for for the opening, you know, we've gotten comments from our listeners before, and thank you everybody's tuning in. Sometimes they want us to talk butter week. And then sometimes people are like, no, we just want you to do the review. Then they get a comment saying, no, we want to learn more about you. That's why we're tuning in. And then they feel like they're like. So it's it's they're probably like we want you to talk about your week, but could you please have more interesting weeks? Kind of, kind of, yeah. I think we we got this one like, comment just, once where it was just like, yeah, we're just listing what we did in our week, but like that yeah. was boring. So I was like, okay, so maybe I don't I don't really know. We're yeah. we're gonna try it again. We'll try and make it interesting again for you guys because you guys do want to get to know us, but not the yeah. boring versions of us. So we will try yeah, and bring just up interesting things. Live more exciting lives. Otherwise, it's gonna be like uh, the first ten minutes of every Mark Marin podcast where people were like let's just skip ahead <laughs> just fast forward 10 minutes because no one need to listen to him talk about whatever uh, <laughs> freaking mental issues he had that week let's just 
Yeah. Let's get back to the interview. <laughs> no, there you go. There you go. Um, okay, so moving on to our actual um, movie of the week. I'm super excited. Obviously, um, this movie's movie of the week is Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, the latest Marvel MCU movie. Um, it is about Shang-Chi otherwise known as the Master of Kung Fu, which was the name of his comic book when he first came out, was Master mm -hmm. of Kung Fu. Um, and Shang-Chi is forced to confront his father and the Ten Rings organization a decade after he ran away from his family's legacy. It is directed by Destin Daniel Cretton, who is... Uh, who is um, you know, he, if you look him up on IMDb, he's got an amazing, amazing filmography. Uh, the screenplay was by Dave Callaham, um, Destin Daniel Creden, and Andrew Lanham. It was produced by Kevin Feige and Jonathan Schwartz, and starring Simu Liu um, as Hey, the first Asian name you've mentioned so far. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're definitely getting into, into the representation part of it um, soon. Uh, then we've got Aquafina as Katie, Tony Leung as Wen Wu, Ben Kingsley makes the surprise return as Trevor Slattery. Um, Meng Er Zhang um, plays Shang-Chi's sister, Sha Ling, and Michelle Yeoh um, plays Ying Nan, his aunt. And oh, and his mom is played by Fala Chen. Um, so we let's, you know, this podcast is called You Better Represent. So let's talk about the actual representation. Um, so the director and um, and writer, Destin Daniel Creden, is uh, is uh, his mom is Japanese and he grew up in um, in Hawaii. Uh, the other two writers, um, I believe, are white men and both producers are white men men um and you know this isn't you know this does happen at disney a lot where they put a lot of the um the on-screen talent is asian but once you get to the let's put it um as the as the uh, decision making roles so to me that's like producer um producer and above um it is usually not asian they really they really did this um for mulan as well the live action remake of mulan basically all mm -hmm. the decision makers were white people um and at that point even the director who was a woman but was also not asian um, with this one, I will say at least they have a, you know, uh, a half Japanese director um, who also gets yeah. a writing credit. So that's something. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's almost the same as Chinese. Yeah, I do think <laughs> um, I, I do think like, OK, listen. Oh, and like, obviously all the actors are. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. There's good representation from, you know, both uh, both. Uh, Chinese-born and North American-born um, actors of Asian descent and uh, specifically Chinese descent. I yeah. I think one thing I'm getting into <laughs> trouble here because uh, on the fight choreography <laughs> because the guy died and everybody's like you know you know he just died in August so this doesn't sound yeah, bad. Yeah. But okay, so they they did credit several people with fight choreography, but I think the main guy was Brad Allen who is famously known as the only white guy on Jackie Chan's like choreography slash stunt crew, yeah. which is great which for- Which is some really good friggin' pedigree, I gotta say, though, right? Like, yeah. he was in, what was the movie? Oh, frick. 
he does like this great scene with Jackie Chan uh, where they're like kind of boxing, but they're like really, um, you know, they're very cordial with one another. I'm trying to remember the name of that movie. I, listen, I get it. He's got the credits and to make it in a world of like, you know, Chinese action movies where he was like, he was the only <laughs> white person on Jackie Chan's crew. Okay, clearly he gets Jackie Chan's stamp of approval, which <laughs> is something. But I'm just like, you know what? He, he's literally the only white guy you could have gone for this role. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> you, you literally have a sea of, like, it, I don't know. Maybe it was a dying wish. You know what? It sounds so bad because he's dead. Like, just, like, literally... What, a few weeks ago, and everybody's tributing, um, and I don't know the situation, so maybe I'm talking out of my ass, and people are, you know, whatever. They also um, they also credit, um, you know, other people for fight choreography, so I don't know how much you use involved. From, at the beginning, I sort of saw it, like, you know, where he was mainly credited. Anyway, I just feel like, you know, it's great. He, he did accomplish a lot. But you literally mm-hmm. got the only white guy qualified for the job. Like it's it's just really <laughs> it it seems like you're going yeah, so out were, of your way. Um, yeah, there were definitely other people who were probably equally qualified. Maybe they're busy, whatever. Um, I mean, at least he was qualified for the job, yes. which is good. I mean, that's the thing. This is the thing. Like I, I there. Yeah. Okay. So on many shows, you know, where they're trying to portray like some sort of ethnic thing, uh, you know, and they all, and then, and then they just fill the room with like white people. I mean, those, the writers in those rooms are extremely competent, like very good Mm -hmm. people. They're extremely good writers. Like there is no question that they're very, very good at what they do. Are they the best at the job for that particular job? Well, if there was an Asian writer who could write just as well, and it was important that, the story was told with, you know, that level of authenticity that only the Asian writer could provide, then they would not be the best person for that job, even though their writing chops might be similar. Yeah. Right. And let's, and let's ignore the fact that like, because minorities have not gotten as many opportunities as white people, there aren't people as good or as experienced because we have not been afforded the opportunity to become as good or experienced as mm-hmm. white writers. So again, so, be, you know, it go, again, it goes back to that silly catch 22, right? Of like, Oh, you know, we need any experience and, but you know, you we won't give it to you. But, um, if there was, you know, like an Asian writer who could speak to those experiences, uh, and have the same number of writing chops, then they will be a better person for the job. Now, in this case with Brad Allen, I think the martial arts just translate. I mean, it's the language that he speaks. It's the language that he knows. So, like, I don't think it's as important that they got, like, an Asian person to do that particular job because, I mean, there's no question that Brad Allen is extremely qualified mm-hmm. to do that job. And and what he does will show up on screen and, and remain authentic mm-hmm. <laughs> to what they're trying to do, right? Versus, you know, uh, like a, a white writer not knowing that you know, Asians come in, take their shoes off <laughs> and then put on slippers or whatever, right? Like, and then write something where they just walk in with shoes. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think in this particular, it doesn't bother me as much, but it does bother me like it didn't get any white, any Asian writers to write this thing because I feel mm-hmm. like it, the, the script itself could have been improved. <laughs> mm. 
if there were Asian writers on board. Yeah, yeah, definitely. They they do credit, they do give a story credit to the director, um, but it, it does show the the primary um, story credit and screen and screenplay credit goes to Dave Callahan, and then they brought in a third writer just for the screenplay with no story credit, just a screenplay credit as Andrew Lanham. So how much influence, um, you know, uh, the the director had, and obviously he's also not. Chinese and you know yeah. what it's it's a it's a it's a it's a Chinese character a very Chinese cast um yeah and, and it delves really deeply into Chinese mythology yeah and you know like all like the little mythological creatures that they're bringing out and use kind of window dressing <laughs> you know like yeah and and anybody who knows Asia Japan and China are have let's say quite the history um and then you've got <laughs> an american born half japanese i don't know yeah. but like is it his filmography is amazing it's just i don't know i don't know i feel like of this i would say um i would say uh disney's quote-unquote asian trilogy um during the pandemic of mulan raya and the last dragon and then now shang chi um, I feel like the only one that got behind the scenes um, involvement from the culture was Raya. And mm-hmm. you actually really see it. Like I'm actually from Southeast yes. Asia and I could tell that there that the the person who led the 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 location scout team was yeah. from Laos. Like you could you could tell and like it was even really subtle things. Like even the character of Raya, like she was actually like agnostic enough that she could be from any of those countries, which is really mm-hmm. hard to do because those are like really distinct characteristics. Um, yeah. And you know, probably the only part that made people mad was the um, the the quote unquote villainous country, which wasn't really that villainous. Clearly, looked like Vietnamese people. Um, so I'm not sure how the Vietnamese people felt about that. But outside of that, and you know, you know, the she the quote-unquote villain who actually got a full redemption arc and was quite a compelling character was very clearly Vietnamese looking. But, like, I do think it made a difference in Raya um, that it wasn't just, you know, you know, like in front of the camera or behind the camera. I, like, it was people decision-making power actually knew the culture. Um, so, okay, now let's jump into the actual movie itself. Um so outside of representation, well, obviously we'll still talk about representation, but, you know, as far as our enjoyment of the movie, um, Leonard, does Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings bring honor to us all, or does it bring shame to our ancestors? Uh, I like to, I'll, I'll give it the honor. I'll, I'll say it brings honor. It could have been better, but it, but it didn't, it, it wasn't bad. Like it didn't, it didn't bring shame. You yeah. know what I mean, like it was, it was still quite good. Uh, you know, it's just like the thing is, you know, the the problem is like every time they're like, oh, this is going to be like another big huge moment for Asians, and then we wait for this big huge moment, and it's like, okay, you know, uh, it's it's like every other big huge moment that's not as huge as I mean, I think Crazy Rich Asians was bigger than this. I'll, I'll be honest, in terms of a moment. Um, you know, like, because here's, you know, here we have this, like, first Asian Marvel superhero, which is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, his superpower is Kung Fu. Uh, <laughs> which I forget. I forget this. Uh, one of the there's a comedian who has a joke like this uh, who did fresh, and I think uh, I forget his name. Um, and now I feel bad about that. Uh, well, I mean, I don't forget his name. I, I just can't remember which comedian it was. Um, uh, uh, Jason Liu, I believe. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Uh, I just remember that the comedian did that. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, but yeah, so, um, you know, oh, Jason, by the way, if, you, if you're listening to this, I apologize, uh, but it's a very good joke. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, there's that. I mean, Tony Leung is amazing. I'll, I'll say mm-hmm. that. Uh, Aquafina is very, very good. Like she provides, uh, the comic relief that oh. is necessary. And she's like the avatar for the audience to be in this going, what's going on? Mm-hmm. You know, sort of thing. Um, you know, they do like some interesting stuff with like, uh, you know, like the the grandparents and like there is some like culture like infused into there. They don't really, you know, there was nothing egregious. I was like, well, that's definitely wrong sort of thing. You know, like that didn't happen, yeah. which is nice. Um, I'll say like Simu did a great job, mm-hmm. uh, even though his character was mildly underwritten, but he did a pretty good job. Yeah. Um, and uh, And the fight scenes were great. You know, thank you, Brad Allen, RIP. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, it was very, it was enjoyable. And it was, it wasn't too long, which I think is very nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's my cat uh, yeah. agreeing with me. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was well, you know, relatively well written. It, it, like the, it moved along. Yes, Kaylee. Uh, we're talking about Simu. Do you have, problems with this she's like my little black panther (laughs) she's a little black cat she's just like no black panther is (laughs) the movie yeah i you know i i i actually i really enjoyed it 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 gave me what i wanted on screen it was a nice fun marvel action movie could it have done a little bit better on the representation score Uh, yes um and would that have made it a better movie Uh, yes um but what they did give me, I still think, is in like the upper half of the Marvel Cinematic Universe versus the lower half, and that's actually a pretty high mm-hmm. bar because Marvel doesn't make um, terrible movies except for yeah. Iron Man Two, which was created <laughs> in the middle of a writer strike, so it was a movie yeah, with no Iron writers. Man Two was pretty garbage, um, <laughs> but it's nice, you know. And it was nice, like with the mythology, like this, like tied in very, very much with Iron Man Three, you know, mm-hmm. with uh, with Slattery. And, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, I would say this was like top 10 Marvel movies, maybe top seven. Yeah, I would say, right? you know, this- maybe seventh, sixth or seventh on the list. Yeah. Like Thor Ragnarok's amazing. Winter Soldier's great. Civil War's great. Like the first Avengers is really, really good. Uh, Black Widow is actually very, very good. Um, I'm not sure I would put Black Widow above this, but I like I, I went and saw it with a, with a bunch of people. And then afterwards, like my friend Hisham. Black guy, he was just like, oh, this is like top five Marvel movie. And I was like, eh, I don't know. And then I was immediately branded a race traitor <laughs> for not putting in top five. I was like, I didn't say it was bad. I just didn't think it was top five. Like, yeah. why, why know, is that so wrong? You know what the weird thing is about this movie? So, like, I, I obviously, I super enjoyed it. It might be in my top five. It, 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 um, yeah. The MCU has so many good, it's top ten for sure. Yeah. Maybe top five. The MCU just has yeah. so many great movies. It's really, yeah. like, it's, it's tough to compare to, like, infinity war or something like you know they have like some crazy movies in this in this in this universe but yeah i I thought it was really good i think it did asians proud but i Mm -hmm. will say like 
the non-Asians are going crazy over this. This has like a really? 99% um, yeah. critic and audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. It is the highest rated in all of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, I mean, that's great. Yeah. But why? I don't I don't know if it's I don't know if it's getting <laughs> Like it's a, not better than Winter Soldier. I don't think it's better than Winter Soldier. I don't think it's better than Thor Ragnarok. Yeah, I feel like well, for me personally, I actually put it put it above both of those, but because for different Wait, reasons. Wait, well what what are your what are your top Marvel movies then? Number 1 definitely Infinity War. I thought that was okay. just like I don't know if something in cinematic history will ever touch that again. Just the culmination, and yes, I I like that way better than Endgame, which just seemed like a yeah. sad, overly drawn epilogue to the actual good movie, which is Infinity War. Um, yeah. So uh, Winter Soldier, I really liked, but because I watched Agents of Shield, I had the twist spoiled. Oh. So I don't know how I would right. have felt otherwise about it, um, because it seems like that twist. And then Thor Ragnarok. Um, I, you know, for me, like, I think Thor Ragnarok came in the middle of where, like, you know, you know, misdirection and subversion of expectations and all that was, like, at its height and people were loving that shit. Um, but for me, like, you can subvert my expectations, but it needs to make sense within the universe you're telling it. And... Mm. I need like emotional resonance. So when you kill off the Warriors three without any emotion, when you kill off his like entire homeworld, like I felt more emotion from Thor about what happened in Thor Ragnarok in Infinity War. Like I was like, wow, oh, that actually happened to him. I I felt none of that emotional resonance. And so to me, it was just like, you know, like I said, at that time with, you know, I think with The Last Jedi and with, you know, there's just like a whole bunch of people were just going too much with the subversion of expectations. I was like, just stop, stop with this subversion. You don't got to like <laughs> subvert everything, people. Just, I want, I, for me, the biggest thing is narrative integrity. So, you know, like say like at the end of Infinity War, yeah, for a lot of people, obviously not for comic book readers, that was a big shock, but it makes sense that, yeah, Thanos won. Yeah. Like they, they built up to it. You, you didn't just like throw in all this, all this craziness. So, oh yeah, all, all his friends got killed. Oh yeah, we blew up his home world. Okay, now let's put on some rock music. Like, <laughs> why? Like, no. Anyway, um, so I, yeah, this might be in my top five. Uh, back, to, back to Shang-Chi. I, um, I do think I, I will, this might be controversial and obviously I'm a little bit biased, um, toward Asians, but I actually do think this is like, as our Asian moment, I, I liked this better than I liked Black Panther. Um, but I think, yeah. I think both movies got the same like white guilt bump of like, mm. it's like, okay, it's good people. Like Shang-Chi is good, but like, <laughs> it feels like with white people, if they don't, it was the same with Black Panther. Black <laughs> Panther is good, but it did not deserve like an Oscar and it like calm down people. And like, yeah. same you thing know what? Like, like, did you, did you hear what happened in Atlanta? You have to like Shang-Chi. <laughs> yeah. It just, it just <laughs> feels stop like Asian hate hashtag. <laughs> Buy Marvel tickets. <laughs> yeah, it's like my, my white friends are like falling over themselves to tell me how much they like Shang-Chi. It's like, it just feels like if they don't like it, they're going to be called racist, which is probably yeah. true because I, I tend to call everybody racist. It's like my thing. But 
Just yeah, to mess you know with white people. Yeah, um, all my non-Asian friends like Shang-Chi more than I did. Yeah, there you go. If, if, does that, does that, like, anecdotally, but that's, it just seems true across the board. That, like, every non-Asian friend of mine just loves <laughs> it way more. And it's just, like, for them, I guess, they're like, oh, my God, this is a little... Because they get to... I guess, I think part of it is this. They get to see, you know, uh, a Marvel movie in the context of Asian stuff, which to them is yeah. still alien, right? Because it's yeah. still... It's not of their culture. And that's like, oh, that's cool. They put, like, an Asian sheen on a marvel movie yeah because that's really what it was it was just like it was it was it was a pretty standard marvel movie but i mean they, although i will say like they did do a good job of like creating that relationship between shang chi and his father and like that there was more emotional depth to it like with all the family like the dysfunctional family stuff which which does put it in the which is why it's in the upper echelon of marvel films yeah that, so it's a really well-made marvel film with an asian thing in the same way that like Crazy Rich Asians was a very good rom-com, yeah. but with Asian faces, right? And so, yes, they, like, throw in some Asian culture stuff. Yes, they do that. But it's not, in my estimate, like, in my opinion, it's not, like, deeply woven in. It's yeah. still still kind of surficial, mm-hmm. right? So, like, which is not to say it's not a good movie. And it's really hard to make movies. It's hard to make movies that are this good. Yeah. Like, this is a very good movie. And it's very difficult to do, but all I'm saying is, like, for it to be this watershed Asian thing, like, it had to be more than that, I think. Yeah. Um, But they, I mean, they gave, I mean, yeah, they gave it a go. And, like, Simu, obviously, very outspoken about these things. Like, with the whole, like, oh, the interesting experiment comment that, like... Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So... You know, I mean, and on the one hand, I'm like, yeah, but that's not what that guy was saying. He was saying it was the release strategy. That was an interesting experiment. I don't think he was saying, oh, we're making a movie with Asians. Yeah, I, I, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I definitely, I know, I know what you're saying. Um, but I can also kind of see what what Simi was saying too, of not yeah. not just with Shang Chi, but so you know, you know. So, so this is this is about the uh, the the new the new president or CEO of Disney, uh, Bob yeah. Chapek, came out and mm-hmm. said, you know, uh, Shang Chi is going to be like an experiment for us. This was on like a, a stockholders call, um, but what what he meant, as Leonard mentioned, is that you know they're doing it as a theatrical release only with a forty five release day window, which mm-hmm. I think is like the first time because um, previously it used to be a 90 day window. And then during the yep. pandemic, it's been day and date release with premium access on Disney. So yep. he was more talking about that. But where I will agree with Simu and he didn't really get into this, but maybe I'm reading this into it is like, I do feel disrespected in like whenever it's an experiment, it seems to yeah. be an Asian movie. So they experimented with Mulan as the yeah. first premier access then they experimented with raya as like raya and the last dragon as like the first you know dual um dual uh premier access and theater and then now with shang chi they're experimenting with it um so like as an asian i'm just kind of like I, I do kind of see, like, on, on the third time, I'm like, okay, why is it always the Asian movie that you're experimenting on? Like, yeah. it's it's a little bit obnoxious. Um, yeah. For for me, the movie, you know, I, I totally agree with you. I do think that 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 uh, Simu's character was a bit underwritten, which is unfortunate. But um, 
but you know, I think he, he was wonderful in the role, very likable. Um, and I will say on the action part, I was surprised when they said he actually hadn't been trained in martial arts before this because I was like, you know what? Who with it? Wait, wait, Simu wasn't or yeah, the character? Um, Simu. I thought um, he was. I mean, I I thought because I've seen him put out like martial arts stuff, but yeah. yeah. I, th- I thought he was, and when I was watching it in my mind, I was like, oh, this is what happens when you get somebody who has actually did this during their life and not just after they became, like, an actor and did it for a few months. And I yeah. I assume that, but I was reading... I might be wrong, but I was reading an article this morning. Um, this is where I got the info about Brad Allen and all that stuff about the martial arts, and they were saying that uh, that he, he was untrained before this. Now, it's just an internet article. I don't even... No, it's not on my screen anymore. So um, I, I think it was from like a reputable source like Friday or something. But, you know, they, they get things wrong, too. Um, so who knows if he was, he was trained or not. But I thought he was. Um, and I I thought that added to it. So whether he was or he wasn't, like he made me believe he was. So so good job. Um, mm-hmm. Like that that bus sequence where there just wasn't much room on the bus. And he was just like it was just. Like his his fists were just like so fast. Um, yeah, it reminded me of you know it's funny I'm gonna give an example that's a non Asian movie, but it reminded me of some scenes from from the first Transporter with uh, Jason yeah. Statham where I was like oh this is really cool. Um, it was just like all in the fight choreography. Um, I I actually the for me the movie was really about his dad and his sister. Um, yeah. And I thought as far as villains go, or quote-unquote villains, anti-heroes, I loved both of them. I thought they were the heart yeah. of the movie. They're probably what's going to, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, they're the characters that are lasting for me. And I love Shang-Chi. I'll, I'll, I'll see what he is in next, and maybe the next movie will be more about him and his growth. But I mm-hmm. definitely loved where they went with his sister. Um, yeah, and that's going to be interesting going forward. Because yeah. that's for sure going to come back. <laughs> yeah, and and you know what? That that's another great example of um, of a twist or subverting expectations that makes sense. Like when she took it over, I was like, "Hell yeah, she's gonna take it over." She always wanted to take it over. Like that makes effing sense. Why would she disband mm-hmm. this thing? And that's yeah. all I'm saying. All all screenwriters with the subversion of expectation thing, like. Narrative integrity is important. You can't just throw things out the window to surprise us because mm-hmm. after the initial shock of the surprise, I'm not going to be impressed if I think if it doesn't like if the rules that you set up for your universe are broken um, yeah. in the hopes of surprising me. So this one made sense. You know, everything, everything with uh, with the father's motivation, um, you know, hearing hearing his wife's voice and just, you know, wanting to believe it. Um, you know, everything made sense. I would say the only thing that didn't make sense to me was that, um, was that Shang-Chi's mom lost her powers when she left. I'm not sure that was really explained because um, like, cause, he, cause he, the dragon gives her the powers and when they, she leaves the, I think if any of them leave the village, they don't get their powers anymore. Yeah. But I feel like, like Shang-Chi's gonna, cause like in future movies, he'll be out of the village and he'll still have his powers. Like I feel but he didn't like have no, but Shang Chi didn't have powers. He could just fight. No, he but I mean, powers. 
No, but like <clears throat> I, I kind of took like when he changed the um like when he learned like, you know, that Tai Chi style, like the the yeah. open palm um of his mom and his aunt. I sort of took that as he was starting to you know, because like his mom was telling him that he had like the heart of a dragon and I, I sort of felt like when he took over the rings and the rings changed color, I sort of took that as the dragon power flowing through him along with the rings so maybe i misinterpreted it but i i think when they changed colors it was it just <clears throat> it changed because when um the dad had the the 10 rings and they were blue i think it was because of what was in the father's heart he wanted power he wanted all these things and then that mm. and then when shang chi took them over they became orange because that's not what he wants he wants something else entirely and i think the the rings have changed color to reflect that but he didn't have any. I don't think he had powers like out because he was born outside of the village. He trained outside of the village. He was just really friggin' good at martial arts because he trained to be an assassin since he was like seven years old. Yeah. I think that's all that was. No, like, no. He, I don't think he had powers. I didn't think now he, he does because he has the rings. But like, yeah, prior to that. I, I didn't think he had powers before he got to the uh, village. I just thought his <clears> one-hour <throat> training session with his aunt gave him access to the heart of the dragon powers. And that's, I interpreted a little bit differently oh, than you okay. did. I, yeah, I don't think I saw that. Yeah, I just sort of thought, okay, that fight sequence, now he's doing the airbending, <laughs> like his and, and, you know, he's, I, I sort of took it to mean that, like, the dragon, like, imbued him with his powers. And then I was taking that because his mom was saying, you know, you have the heart of the dragon, you can access yeah. this power or whatever. So who, yeah. who knows? We'll sort of see. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe he'll take that away. Um, but yeah, yeah. Other, other than that, I think uh, yeah, it was it was it was a good movie. Um, yeah, really liked the villains. I I even liked the side characters. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, Razor Fist. Um, you know, I feel like they probably could have used Death Dealer more. Um, but I guess Death Dealer, um, who who obviously dies in this. Um, I, I just, and listen, I get it. Razor fist is in the comic books and he is, you know, a part of the 10 rings or the Mandarin's organization or whatever. Um, but I'm just like, well, you know, and, and even in the comic books, death dealer died like within a few, um, comics, uh, a few issues of coming out. But I was yeah. like, uh, you know, yeah. even, well, even, even as a, for good purpose. Yeah. I was just kind of like, even as a sub boss, I would have preferred like, um, you know, choosing one of the Asian characters as a sub boss, <clears throat> but whatever, whatever that's, yeah. that's saying, Hey, listen, yeah. they threw in, you know, our boy, Ronnie Chang. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. You know, he was great. As, um, as a punk, and he looks like he's going to come back. Um, they threw in Wong with the abomination. You know, is yeah. you know. Yeah, Michelle Yao was in there, you know. And again, Tony, like we said, Tony Leung did a great job. Yeah. And it's nice that, you know, because, like, I guess when, like, the comic originally came out, it was really more just to capitalize on, like, this kung fu mania. And mm -hmm. it was kind of racist. Oh, uh, yeah, super racist. <laughs> super, super racist. So the fact that they're like, okay, they took this story that extremely racist origins like i think like like the villain was fu manchu or something like that yeah like, fu manchu like, um fucked. and the dragon's so, name was fing fang foom <laughs> um so it's like it's like 
That's a lit fing fang foom. That's like an Asian version of like Jack and the Giant Beanstalk, you know, fing fang foom fum. <laughs> <laughs> I will say what I like is like when they update things. Yeah, I will say like Marvel, you know, it wasn't just, it's not like, you know, modern era and being more diverse got them to change the Fu Manchu thing. They they changed it because they lost the rights to the character. Oh, really? <laughs> to, uh, yeah, they lost the publication rights. So I won't give them total credit for for, for fixing that, um, but they literally don't have the rights to uh, to, uh, oh, to Fu Manchu. Um, so they were legally forced into making better choices. Yes, yes. <laughs> One thing I will say, though, is, you know, know and I am happy that Kevin Feige came out and said this because after after Doctor Strange and they changed the ancient one who is traditionally like you know an older uh Chinese I guess uh Tibetan man um uh and I'm not going to jump into whether Tibet is a part of China so just stop people um <laughs> but you know it's usually played uh or or drawn as a uh, as a um as, as a Chinese person, and, and uh, they wanted to get, get rid of the racial stereotypes, so they recast him as, like, a Celtic white woman. And Kevin Feige came out and finally apologized, saying, you know, yeah, we, we thought we were ahead of the curve, um, and we we're going to avoid stereotypes. But now he sees that maybe um, recasting Asians as white people is not that um <laughs> is, is is not as forward thinking as uh, as 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 yeah. as he once thought um yeah. but yeah I mean, fixing <laughs> fixing racism by just erasing the asians and putting white people in their place is maybe not the best way so i like yeah. that they just like renamed the character to Wen Wu instead of like oh let's you know yeah. he's problematic let's make him white yeah okay well i will say recasting asians as white people is leagues ahead of casting white people as Asians. Oh, David Carradine, yeah. I, I feel like, yeah, that David yeah. Carradine comment is going to be my Jeopardy moment. I'm going to get some big gig and then it's going to come back that I said something about David Carradine. <laughs> um, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. This, uh, this podcast host was canceled for making, <laughs> making a comment about David Carradine on his now defunct podcast. <laughs> Yeah, why is it <laughs> that, that ruined uh, both hosts' lives <laughs> for no apparent reason? Why is it that who is Bong when... <laughs> Why is it that I have to like uh, two weeks in a row now on the Asian movies where I've had to make co legitimate comments about white people, um, David Carradine and Brad Allen, and they just happen to be dead? That it makes me seem <laughs> heartless. Um, but in terms of representation, I can't. I got to keep it real, people. Like when you put white people in these roles and in these positions i gotta say something even if they're yeah, dead yeah. i'm sorry no, death death will not save you from vong's <laughs> ire so just know that he will he will get you from beyond beyond the grave <laughs> oh lord okay let's uh let's wrap up our shang chi review with that um thank you leonard um you know uh, my final recommendation is go see it it's awesome um and uh that's that now uh please stay tuned with us for our next segment after a very short break we will do our topic of the week which is plucked from the themes of the movie and this week's topic of the week or cultural topic of the week is leaving home to find yourself just like shang chi did um, and uh, both me and Leonard had to do that as well in our journey into adulthood. So stay tuned. 
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What up, what up, listeners, and welcome back to You Better Represent podcast. This is our second segment, and in our second segment, we discuss a cultural topic that is plucked from the themes of our movie of the week. And this week's movie of the week, of course, the biggest movie in the world, two weeks straight, is uh, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. And our associated topic of the week is leaving home to find ourselves. So this, of course, happened in the movie. Shang-Chi left for 10 years, um, left maybe... um, um, Escaped would be a better way of, of saying it and, uh, you know, try, try to find himself. Now, in real life, of course, this does happen maybe not as dramatically as Shang-Chi leaving a league of, uh, of, uh, of organized uh, criminals and, and assassins um, to uh, find out who he, who he is. But, um, you know, I'll start off this topic of, like, sure. you know, where I had to leave... Um, uh, to find myself and you know, very common. It was for me, it was for university. I left. So I grew up in Winnipeg, murder capital of Canada, also known as the ghetto. And, you know, I actually really loved growing up in Winnipeg. I, you know, I was at a great time. School was good. Friends were good. Family was good. My community really supported me. Um, and, it sounds kind of funny that I would leave that, but I, I wanted to challenge my worldviews. Um, at that age, I was probably nineteen when I left, and I wanted to challenge my worldviews. I'd already been going to the University of Manitoba. Um, I, I, you know, a, a whole nother story, but I, I was on a bit of a break from the university because I had gotten run over by a car. But anyway, long story short, in this time of being on a break, uh, after my first year, cause I was, I had been run over, I sort of decided, <laughs> you know what, maybe now is time for change. Um, and yes, you know, there, there were other reasons and, uh, I probably wouldn't have made the change if I hadn't been run over by a car, but it, it gave me time to think about my life and my worldviews. And I was like, like, you know what? Everybody around me kind of like agrees with my worldviews. And I'm like, let's let's just see. So I was like, what is the most differentest place? I know that's not a word. What is the most differentest <laughs> place in Canada? Because um, I, I did not want to go to the U.S. Because like, I don't want to get that different. Um, but 
also obviously Canadian citizens are subsidized in their university um, versus going going to the U.S. Um, so I, I also didn't want to pay that that extra money. So I was like, where in Canada would I be challenged most? And it came down to um, either McGill in um, in Montreal or University of Calgary in Calgary. And I was like, you know what? Even though it's a different language in Montreal, I feel like Calgary is actually probably going to be um, the one that challenges my worldviews the most. This is where a lot of our conservative leaders mm-hmm. come from. You know, Winnipeg, very, you know, like they're under conservative leadership now. But like growing up, it was it's very common to have an, to have an NDP government, um, which is, you know, of, of a very progressive party. Um, you know, our mayor was gay when I was growing up. Our symbol of Winnipeg is called the golden boy, which is not explicitly <laughs> gay, but it's like a gay naked cherub on top of like our, <laughs> anyway, is pretty, pretty gay. gay. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, and it's during a, pride. It, it was one gay baby. It's a gay baby. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, and you know what? It worked. I really did grow up in um, in in my time in in uh, Calgary. Like, I ran into people where, you know, listen, where I grew up, it was like ninety percent Asians. We had one white kid in my whole elementary school, and we beat him up every day. Um, so <laughs> I never, I never, I, I knew I was a visible minority, but like not where I'm from. Like, you know what I mean? Like I'm a visible minority on TV and obviously that's important. That's why we do um, this show about representation, but not in my real life. Yes, Leonard. Yeah. By, by, by the way, Vaughn, you, you, you've mentioned this poor white kid that you've beat up a yeah. lot. Can we do an episode where we find out what happened to him? <laughs> you know what? Oh, I think, oh, I should probably rem- remember his name considering the amount of times he got beat up every day. But, um, oh. I, I think it might have been Matthew. Yeah. Some days we didn't beat him up. We just pulled down his pants and made him cry. But that's um, almost worse. <laughs> it was uh, almost worse. <laughs> um, In fact, that is worse. That is actually worse. <laughs> uh, it is, I'm not saying I did it personally each time. In fact, I wasn't even leader of the pack, but did okay. any of us help him? So you no. were just you were just following orders. That's that's never turned out poorly. <laughs> no, not following orders. More pointing. No, you're, it was just, you were just part yeah. of the mob. I get it. I yeah, get yeah, it. yeah. We were more egging on. Anyway. Um, at the time, we didn't see. Obviously, I'm older now, and you can see I'm very, whatever, feel bad. Anyway, um, so <laughs> um, I'm sure he's fine. I'm sure yeah. he's fine. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yes, I do need to work on my sympathy um, for non-Asian <laughs> people. But, you know, it's I'll, I'll go to therapy. Um, so... Um, yeah, I you know I, I met people. I'll say the craziest thing in Calgary was I met people that I thought existed only on TV. Like, yeah. I just thought, like, see, in Winnipeg, there's so much crime and there's so much like you have to grow up so fast because yeah. if you don't grow up fast, you're not going to grow up. Like mm-hmm. you'll just die. So yeah. there's like a certain street smarts you got to know. Like you you can't grow up 
so oblivious to the world, even as a child. Um, so, you know, like when you have friends like going to jail for murder and other friends getting killed and other friends, like you're, it doesn't matter. You're in elementary. You kind of know how to handle yourself. Um, mm -hmm. And in Calgary, you can grow up in a total bubble. Like it's so, it's so odd. And to me, it explained a lot about conservatism of like, mm -hmm. you know, like um, it's so, it's, you know, this is where a lot of our conservative leaders come from, where it's like, um, you grow up, you're so privileged, and your money creates a bubble where you don't see the whole world. So when you're voting on issues or coming up with bills or forming your opinions on issues, it's not based on somebody you met or somebody in your life. It's based mm -hmm. on, like, this theoretic, like, oh, yeah, we should be really harsh on, you know, uh you know, let's let's throw people away to jail like forever because of like a drug offense or whatever, or you know, just not understanding the underpinnings of like gang violence and why people would join a gang and you know whether people are savable or not. It's just it's all theoretical and it, it becomes different. Where you know, like the drug laws in um, in Vancouver are way more lenient because like you probably have a family member who like is addicted to drugs like it's mm -hmm. it's it's not so far removed that you have to like um you know create this fake character where you're you're having this is like you know like when like online and even in real life a lot of times like visible minorities or women they get really mad when they're um debating something and then you get the quote-unquote straight white guy who comes in as the quote unquote devil's advocate. And it's always because to them, everything is devil's advocate. It's like, let's, this is like a theoretical thing. I'm in intellectual exercise instead yeah. of like, no, this is real life. Like this has happened to me. This happened to my friends. And so meeting people like that, I was like, so what I mean by like, I didn't know they existed was like, like literally, you know, and I know this isn't a white character, but like, you know, like I met like a couple real life Steve Urkels and I was like, I didn't know. I was like, I didn't know you could be like that in real life. I didn't know you could be so out of touch with reality. Like you could be like this comic punchline character. Cause if you're like that in the ghetto, you're going to get shamed. Like you cannot be Steve Urkel in the ghetto. Like, no, you cannot. Um, and like, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> somebody just stabs the Steve Urkel, kills them. And they're like, Oh, did I do that? <laughs> <laughs> um, the other thing too is like, um, Oh, and here's another thing. It's like, um, I had this neighbor come over and they knocked on my door and they were like, um, can I borrow some sugar? <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, it happened. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> every time we saw that on TV, I was like, who the hell knocks on their neighbor's door for sugar? You're like, oh and my I God, like, I'm in a Folgers commercial. What happened? <laughs> I was like, who doesn't have sugar? This is so weird, but it's based on real life. For those in the ghetto who think this stuff is just TV, no, it is real. It is real. Um, but also on the real end and I'll, I'll, I'll pass it over to Leonard cause I'm, I'm on, I, I'm not really breathing or, um, <laughs> but it's, um, it's like, uh, it's, it's, it's a stand-up comedian thing. Sometimes when, when we talk, especially me, cause I'm so egocentric, I just don't stop talking even though it's supposed to be a panel based show. So I will shut up, um, after <laughs> this last point. Um, the, uh, the, the other thing too is just, um, 
the comic book villainess of some of these races or um, anti-LGBTQ religious people. It's so crazy. Like, wow. In Calgary, like, I'd have people come up to me um, at university or after comedy shows and they'd be like, hey, just so you know, my great great grandfather founded the KKK chapter in Alberta. (laughs) And uh, he was like, yeah, I just, I just thought you should know that. And then he walked away and I was like, excuse me, bitch. Why did you, why did he need you to know that? Oh, he's trying to intimidate me or something, but I was like, we can intimidate somebody who grew up in the ghetto. Like give me an effing break. Like, (laughs) yeah, no, 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 no. You, Yeah. Anyway, so there's always, like, these, I don't know, it was, but I will say, oh, you know what, I'm not going to shut up as soon as I promise, because I do have one more point is, probably the part that actually affected me the most, and what sort of put me on my current trajectory of my mission in life, and sort of gave me direction, which is what I had been looking for, sort of like with Shang-Chi when he was away, although he didn't really find his mission until after he came back um versus finding it while he's away but anyway what what made me find it was less so my interactions with the white people or the conservatives there because come on i I was beating up i clearly have no sympathy i I was beating up that little white kid for like his his whole elementary career there's a very little i could learn but what i did learn was like when you are the minority and i met a lot of asians who grew up in calgary and the effect it had on them um, and how it made them, you know, basically wish they were white um, and, you know, changing their names, um, hiding from their culture, not really wanting to be seen around in like large groups of Asians, um, always trying to, to fit in and assimilate. I was just like, I had just never encountered that because everybody where I was from, like I said, we felt bad for white people because we always beat them up. So it was like... I was like, oh, wow, like, outside of my little bubble, um, and, you know, I, like I said, I was accusing the white people of living in a bubble. I I was also living in a bubble. Like, clearly, the ghetto is not how the rest of Canada works. The difference <laughs> being that I acknowledged I lived in a bubble, and I actively tried to see what life was like outside of it, which, mm. you know, clearly, um, rich, conservative white people... Um, they're not exactly coming into the ghetto being like, oh, how, except for that one show where, you know, what is it, Undercover Boss, where you pretend to be poor for like half a second. <laughs> but outside of Undercover yeah. Boss, most people aren't usually no. jumping out of their bubble. Um, no. Sometimes they'll come to the ghetto and, and adopt a, a black football player. <laughs> there you go. And then they get an Academy Award for it. Yeah. Um, okay, over over to Leonard. Um, sorry, I, I took up uh, a lot of time. <laughs> on my journey um but yeah what what was your journey of finding yourself um did you have like a similar um time where you felt like you just needed to get away to uh to see who you were well i mean i I left home for school um so i moved i mean i didn't move that far away though i literally moved like two and a half hours away right so i could still go home on weekends if i wanted to i didn't but i could uh and yeah i mean obviously I grew up in Toronto. I grew up like fairly middle class, like privileged, right? And so like that that was I was in a bubble too, like and I was like the poor kid in school, right? Mm-hmm. Which is crazy because we were fine. 
but they were like very wealthy people I went to school with, like mm. like people who like you know like their their first car is like a Range Rover or a Dodge <laughs> Stealth or like a freaking Porsche or whatever, right? Like they just these are very these are like people who came from like families worth like nine to ten figures, mm. right? So which is not me, like <laughs> <laughs> um, so. Yeah, so like, so obviously then, like, I was, you know, like, in, and then when I went to school, I went to Queens, which, again, like, not exactly, like, the, the poor school, but like, you know, they were, uh, you know, I started dating this girl, and, and also I went to, like, an all-boys school, so, like, then when I went to Queens, I was like, oh my god, there's girls, and I had no idea what to do with them. <laughs> uh, and, you know, and also my first year, I had braces, so, you know, whatever, mm. I didn't get laid for 18 years after that. Uh <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah it was uh it was interesting I, mean, I started dating this girl i remember uh like around second year and i was 18 19 and she was 25 yeah. and uh and then i would be like hey you know let's go out or something and she was like no i can't i'm broke i was like well let's just go to the atm we'll get some money she was like yeah no you see if i go to the atm and ask it for money it's gonna say why are you asking me for money you don't have any and i was like oh you're like broke broke like i didn't understand mm. like what like i never had met somebody who just had zero dollars mm. which uh extremely sheltered extremely i mean i'm very lucky but obviously you know, like that wasn't uh, it's not great, like to be <laughs> that person, right? Who's just like, what? Just get money from the ATM. Like you can just get money. Like that's it's a magic machine that just doles up money. You know, <laughs> whenever you want it. Because my entire life, that was my experience with the ATM machine, right? It just gave mm. me money because I had money. And so then I was like, oh man, like I don't know what it's like to live like that. And so then when I was like, when I did my masters, I was like, listen, I, I was like, uh, just. I, cut me off like I need I need to oh. do this on my own right uh, I will get a job if I have however I need to survive for the next however many years just I'm gonna do it so just stop like just don't support me don't help me I will figure this shit out on my own because I need to do that that's really important because um, otherwise like if you don't understand like the value of money or the value of struggle, then how on earth are you going to deal with most of the world <laughs> for whom that's what yeah. life is? You know, like I would be such a horrible human, I think, if I never did that. So I was like, I got to do that. And then, so I was trying to live on like, you mm. know, I got a stipend from, uh, like I applied, like luckily, like I was, you know, a fairly relatively, I was an okay student, and, <laughs> but okay enough that I could get like NSERC grants and like mm. I could get like, uh, scholarships and stuff like that. So I got like sixteen thousand five hundred dollars, mm. and then I was like, okay, now I got to survive on this because I realized really quickly I was like, oh, I'm doing a master's. I don't have time to actually have a job on top of this. <laughs> I was like, oh shit, I really miscalculated what this is going to take. And I was like, oh fuck. So then with sixteen thousand five hundred dollars, I had to use that. I had to pay for rent. I had to pay for tuition. I had to pay for food, mm. and that's not a lot of money uh, to do all that stuff on. So then I was just like trying to figure out how to do it and like. You know, I ended up uh, finding this. There's this little like Chinese restaurant like down the street where uh, they made like these really cheap Chinese food. And mm. I figured I realized I could like, oh, man, it's enough for like two, maybe three meals if I ration. Mm. And I could have like a like a dollar fifty two dollars a meal, which is amazing with a protein, with like vegetables, whatever. I mean, the downside was it was full of MSG. I developed an allergy, which as an Asian is oh. humiliating. Uh, <laughs> 
And then, of course, and then because I was eating, like, shitty Chinese food the whole time, like, I started getting thinner and thinner. My face was breaking out because I was just, like, I was not in good condition at all. <laughs> like, I, my, I was falling apart. And, I, and obviously doing the master's, like, especially because, like, the nature of my uh, research required that I, like, I would have to, like, get up at four in the morning to go to the lab and, like, mm. feed my bacteria to keep them alive. And I was on, like, this weird schedule. Like, I was ru- being ruled by Petri dishes. And so, <laughs> like, I had, like, man, I lost so much weight. I, like, I was getting no sleep. And I was just, and I did that for, like, two years. And then every time I went home and we would do, like, big family dinners and my aunts would look at me and they'll be like, it is, like, they would yell at my parents. They're like, you have to give him money. It is embarrassing what is happening to your son. Look at him. He's dying. <laughs> <laughs> And I refused. I was like, no, I'm good. I will just, I will, I will tough this out because this is necessary. And then, um, yeah. And then anyways, I graduated and then I got a job and then everything was fine. And I kind of, and then I, you know, built this 20 year career in engineering, which I then threw away for comedy and writing. So, (laughs) um, there you go. But yeah, so I mean, yeah, I think that was, I, I think it's important, obviously, to get out there and then experience as much as you can. And I think, all, and it's not just, like, I mean, obviously travel, do all that stuff, like get on your own. But like, I, it's not distance, it's independence, mm-hmm. right? Like emotionally, financially, like just, you know, obviously if there's distance physically. Um, but I think it's just learning to be independent. Like it's only when you are on your own without the influence of home, which is such a formative thing that you can truly then see who you are as a person. Mm. When you're, you know, whenever like it builds character, right? Like, and when, whenever I write like a show, whenever I'm like creating a show, like the first thing I have to do is figure out who these characters are. And the only way I do that is by like putting them in all sorts of crazy situations and then imagining what would this character do in this situation. You just, and you have to just do that in life. You know, you have to put yourself in a whole bunch of different situations, see how you're going to react in those situations. I mean, obviously within reason, but like, (laughs) you know, like maybe you have a pretty strong sense that you're not going to like, you know, like a German shit orgy or whatever. Don't do that if you don't want to do that. I don't, you know. Uh, (laughs) That was very specific. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I found that one out the hard way. So, uh, (laughs) but you know what I mean? Like, you know, I think I think you just have to experience a lot because that's how you find out who you are. And um, yeah, so, you know, get out, do do your thing, figure out who you are, figure out what you want. Sometimes it's the process of elimination. Um, often it's the process of elimination, just like trial and error, figure out what you don't like to figure out what you do want and then, you know, go for it. And that's that's pretty much it. That's, that's it. That's it. That's all I got. Yeah, and you know, sometimes you don't, get it right on the first try and sometimes it's part of the journey like obviously both me and Leonard had different careers um 20 year or in my case 15 year career um in another industry before we transitioned again so mm-hmm. you know what it's uh you know that uh that journey of learning and finding your direction never really ends but um yeah. you know it's definitely worth it to at least try to try and challenge try and challenge your mindset um you know, to, to really understand. You know, the funny thing is, I feel like my understanding of the conservative mindset has really helped me. 
Mm-hmm. And it, it's not just surface because like when, like I know in Canadian politics right now, like there is this divide where, you know, there's even some people in Alberta that want to, you know, there's, there's like a separatist party in Alberta now called the, the Maverick party. Um, and, you know, just having been there, it's, you know, and when I write about it, um, in my comedy and my viewpoints, you know, obviously I get really angry at, at, you know, at conservatives or racists or homophobics and stuff, but at least it's like, it's a little bit different. Like when, when, when you understand it at least a little bit, um, it's, it's still a little bit humanizing. Like it it prevents me from just making caricatures out of people because I, I live there where it was the dominant, um, like the, the dominant mindset. So you can kind of see where people are coming from. Hell, I spent five years listening to Rush Limbaugh every day. So I, oh my I God. Just, How yeah, are you yeah, not yeah. insane? Yeah, I, mean, I, did, I assume you just disagreed with what you're saying. Like, right? Well, the thing or is, you, not, like, not everything. Like, I. I mean, it does totally, occasionally have a cogent point, but like. I, I would say it's the reverse of that. I think most of the time he's actually speaking, you know things that make sense um and it's like maybe 10 percent of the time now if 10 percent of what you say is batshit crazy obviously that's that's not helpful but like his message what people don't understand you know and and i think that i i try and answer this a lot too because sometimes people don't understand why there's like visible minorities or or gays who are like trump supporters um but what i try and tell them is like like the reason why conservatism um, and like talk show hosts like Rush Limbaugh, even though they're clearly racist, <laughs> um, it can appeal to visible minorities is what they're pushing is personal responsibility. But mm-hmm. what where that helps is if you're like me, if you're like a poor kid growing up in the ghetto, the last thing you want to hear is how you don't have a chance, how every system is stacked against you. You you are so in the thick of it, trying to get out of it. You do not need to hear like a message about, you know, let's, you know, it is gonna make people mad at me, but you know, like like you don't want to hear things things about pronouns or about um, you know, <laughs> like political posturing or other things what's going to resonate with you is like somebody saying, no, it's all up to you. The world mm-hmm. is equal. It, yeah. And if you put in the work, it's all up to you your personal power. Yeah. And now we all know that's an effing lie. Yeah. Um, but yeah. if you're in that situation, it might be the lie that you need to get you out of it because it's hard to overcome it. If you're thinking about everything that is against you. And that is why somebody like Rush Limbaugh appeals to people and downtrodden people, even though you think like the conservative movement is obviously very beneficial for the rich. But what it is, is it's like if if you have nothing, you you have to believe almost that it's equal. You have to believe that you have a chance to make it out of there, even mm-hmm. if it's total lies. Like I said, I was not in the mood when I was younger. I was not in the mood to examine systemic racism and the the different systems of oppressions that govern our country. Like, no, it's like you know what this hoe trying to shoot me in the head. Like, <laughs> let's like you know what I mean. Like it's yeah. it is it, you know what I mean. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. it's different just problems. it just can't be like you just can't 
And listen, people are going to get mad at me for saying pronouns. What I'm saying is, obviously, if you're a trans person growing up in that situation, that would matter to you. I'm saying if you're a non-trans person um, growing up in a life or death situation, you're not really trying to think of other people's problems in that moment. You know, mm-hmm. and yes, now I'm going to get into trouble by people saying I'm saying it's other people's problems. Yes, trans problems are everybody's problems. Yes, we do have. Anyway, with all those caveats, people, I am an ally. Don't, 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 don't shit on me. Anyway, or shit on me if you want. I've, I've had a few people shit on you me know, for yeah, my views. You know, anyway, like a, like I'm very supportive. Um, but. Maybe I should use another example, but I'm just saying it's like I could have used another example of like with Afghanistan. Like, you know what? (laughs) People in the ghetto weren't voting for somebody based on whether Trudeau's foreign policy in Afghanistan was like, nobody gives a fuck. Like, no, we don't need to like, you know, and sadly, like I'll also say with residential schools, it's very important. It obviously is. But if if you're having like your brothers and sisters and friends getting shot and killed, like other people's problems are not what you're trying to think about. So that's why when people say, um, you know, like why people didn't like, um, uh, I don't, I don't know what they call it. The, um, uh, uh, like, uh, conservatives always hate it. They, they say it's like, like race politics or, uh, there's a certain word I'm looking for. Like, um, critical race theory. No, not specifically. That's one of them, but not specifically that. It's uh, they always blame Hillary Clinton for this, or like elite liberals of making politics about um, I oh um, oh identi- identity identity politics. politics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's what they mean. It's not. It's not that they don't care. It's that it's a privileged position to be thinking about these world issues. It really, yeah. it really is. If yeah. if if you don't have food on the table, like I'm sorry, like a photo of Syrian refugees dying is not gonna help me. Like it's just, <laughs> and so that sounds heartless. <coughs> but that is why when a conservative comes in and talks to them, even though you're like, but the conservative is super racist. It's like, yeah, but they're not talking to them about Afghanistan or you know. LGBTQ issues or other rights, they're just like, yo, we're going to tax you less, which obviously ends up helping rich people more than poor people. Anyway, but but the poor people always hear, you know, oh, but I get more money. And also, because the conservatives are also telling them, like, you have the power to be like, you know, to do all this. And then they're like, well, one day when I'm a millionaire, which you will never be because of systemic racism, I will (laughs) love having these tax breaks or some shit, you know? Yeah. So listen, the thing is, and see, so this is just an example of. I, I guess this is a nice way to wrap it up because obviously I don't believe in these views. I I don't agree with them. Yeah. But I have an understanding of them. Clearly, I I live there for long. As you can see, I can even like as I just did now give at least a little bit of a viewpoint of why these radio hosts and like most of the time Rush Limbaugh is not crazy and I think he's dead now but oh another yeah. dead person I'm yeah. being look at you it's you're really thing. you have to, you, made, you did it you made the hat trick of uh, of uh. <laughs> uh, good lord I need to just leave dead people alone but anyway um yeah it's not yeah it just yeah anyway I do feel like getting out there trying to challenge your perspectives is really important Yes. And once again, I will say because, you know, 
Everybody calm down with what I said about pronouns. They are very important and the trans people are very marginalized and need our help and it is all of our problems. So do not take that comment out of context. I was just using it as an example along with Afghanistan and Syria and residential schools, which are also very important issues as well. Okay. Now you know you know these are good opinions when they require so many disclaimers. <laughs> well, the thing is, okay, listen. For me, I know with my audience, it's a very what people might say like a woke audience because because I'm gay and because I'm Asian and because I'm very outspoken for my community. But within that, I'm also very provocative. So it's, it's a bit of a fine line and I'll never back up what I'm going to say. Like, you know, a lot of people wanted me to rescind what I said about, uh, honestly, the one I got into most trouble about was like boycott, not boycotting Mulan the movie and saying, no, I'm going to watch this shit. But it's, <laughs> it's like, okay, come on, everybody, like... Sometimes if somebody doesn't totally, I know this is a total soapbox and there's nothing new to their episode and Leonard has to go eat dinner, but I'm just going to finish with this. I feel literally like, on doordash.com right now. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I think with the discourse, yes, hold people accountable, but also realize if they're an ally or not before you sort of make like, your difference of opinions into giant chasms. Like I know, like I know, like recently, like with, like there were some LGBTQ activists that went after Martina Navratilova um, about something um, about you know, um, and it's specifically, um, it's specifically about tennis, and it was just like you know what, let's not gang up on Martina. She has done a lot for the community. Maybe let's try and open a dialogue to see what she really meant. And that's all I'm saying. Like, there's a difference between going after somebody who is clearly an ally and maybe you have a disagreement versus, like, people who are out to, like, end your existence. So let's yeah. just let's just make that difference. So what I'm saying is I'm not out to end your existence anybody. So let's <laughs> just calm down. If you disagree with me, like a lot of people did about well, watching Mulan, which was clearly... Uh, my uh, stamp of approval for genocide. Uh, yeah. <laughs> let's everybody calm down. Um, let's yeah, everybody calm the fuck disagree down. disagree with Long, pull down his pants and make him cry. Yes. <laughs> I am not for genocide. I'll just say that again. Okay. For, for those in the back who didn't hear it last time, watching a movie does not make me pro-genocide. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm totally for genocide. I, for the record. <laughs> I think it would be uh, better for the environment. Uh, I feel Thanos was not wrong. Uh, and yeah, I think we got to do it. I think we got we to take out some people. There you go. Thank you, Leonard, for taking some heat off of me. Um, there you go. So, uh, okay, so that that's the end of our episode. Um, that kind of went sideways, but listen, some people said they wanted to know more about us, so there you yeah. go. We're going to have a few tangents Now, now you now. have our views on genocide. Wrong <laughs> against me yes. for. <laughs> um, so we'll we'll be back. Uh, we'll be back next week with another episode. Leonard will be back in a couple weeks, and we actually have a very special interview episode coming up. Um, when we switch to the You Better Represent podcast, um, we we changed from um, having an all panel show to once a month 
um, bringing in somebody from the industry to talk about their views on the progression of diversity um, within their um, within the entertainment industry. So uh, coming up uh, this week, we are going to have a very special interview with a young um, director and screenwriter working in the Canadian filmmaking industry right now to see um, to talk about her her journey and uh i'll just leave that tease for now um but uh i don't we'll, even know who this is now we'll tell uh, me after tell me tell me off offline yes or i'll um, have to listen next week like everybody else <laughs> um, okay we will uh we will be back next week uh thank you for listening in i'm your host fong show official spokesperson for gay super cute asians and my co-host uh, the Asian Rick Mercer, <laughs> Leonard Chan, <laughs> um, newest uh, on-air, full-time on-air correspondent for CBC's This Hour is 22 Minutes. We'll be back next week, and that's what's up. Oh. Oh, hang on. I uh, yeah. I hit the wrong, wrong <laughs> I hit wrong the wrong button. button. Here's our actual closing. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. Sonar!